Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 134. Hey, this is Andy Malinsky, author of Reach and Global Dexterity. And if you want to learn how to get out of your comfort zone, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but First, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, Head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. I'd love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Andy Malinsky. Andy is a professor of organizational behavior and psychology at Brandeis University's International Business School and the author of two popular business books, Global Dexterity with Harvard Business Review Press and Reach, which came out last year with Penguin Random House. He is also a regular contributor at Harvard Business Review. Andy, welcome to the show, man. Super stoked to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're most excited about right now? 
Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. So what am I most excited about now? I think it's really these conversations that I get to have with people about reach and stepping outside your comfort zone, and then the work that I get to do to apply it. I've been doing work with companies, consulting and training and keynotes, and it's it's really fun to see, you know, to start in the form of research and interviews and then a book and then see it sort of in practice, in action. So that's what I'm most excited about. Soup, yeah, to, soup, to, soup to nuts. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. So talk to us a little bit more about your journey. Like what were you doing in, you know, elementary school, throughout high school, through to college that kind of led you onto this path that you're on now? Yeah. So, um, gosh, elementary school. I don't know if there's any direct correlation there. I think that where I would pick it up is after college. So I, after college, I did a um, master's program uh, in international relations and international business. I started the program. That was at Columbia University in New York City. And about, I don't know, halfway through the first year as a two-year program, I realized man, I don't know anything about international business. (laughs) I knew I was very interested in international stuff. I studied a bunch of languages, cultures, and so on, but I didn't know much about business or international business. So I took a leave of absence. And I went to France and I worked for a small French consulting firm in Paris. And I became fascinated by what was happening in the office. The actual work at the consulting firm was super boring to me, at least. I think we were doing customer satisfaction surveys to industrial companies, like at least to me, I don't know. I don't want to insult anyone, but to me, super boring. But what was happening in the office was really interesting, like the dynamics, the intercultural dynamics and people sort of stepping outside their cultural comfort zones and all the cultural differences. And I was just really, just in also really the psychology of the workplace. I had never really gone in at that level and observed it and been part of it. So I came back to the US to finish my program and I was trying to figure out like what this is, like what am I so interested in? Like I didn't have the words to describe it really. Mm-hmm. I found out it was social psychology and organizational behavior and cross-cultural communication, it, kind of that intersection. And, and I was so fascinated by it that I went off to do a PhD. All my friends were getting, you know, jobs and banks and businesses and so on. And I, I wanted to go deeper. So I went and did a PhD in organizational behavior and psychology in my dissertation, actually had a special focus on cross-cultural adaptation. So that kicked me off. That started my path. And I've, that's the one I've been on ever since. Awesome. Awesome, man. There's so much stuff there. So this idea basically was something that you wanted to take a deeper dive into. So instead of going and getting a job or anything like some of your other friends were doing, you decide to go back and take I get your PhD with all of this. So at what point along this timeline did the books start coming out and that kind of a thing? Yeah. So anyone who knows how the academic world works would probably recognize that that you can't like go in and start an academic job as a professor and go write books, really. I think at least to get tenure, which is sort of the, the idea of tenure is, is that you've got a lifelong employment, a lifelong job, and you're evaluated based on your research. And so that's what I was doing. So I was trained to be a researcher for the first many, many, many years of my career. I produced research papers read by other professors and scholars and academics academics, written with other scholars and academics on these topics, though, on stepping outside your comfort zone, on adapting behavior across cultures. But my audience was other scholars, in a sense, right? Maybe 100 people would read it or something if I was lucky. So but once I got tenure, I started to have a bit more freedom. And that freedom was really in line with my values. And my values are that I don't want to just speak 
to other academics. I do, but that's not the only audience I want. I want to be able to influence in a positive way people out there in the world who struggle with these things. And that's what got me to writing books, to starting. I've written maybe about 50 or 55 articles with Harvard Business Review, consulting and training and so on. That's what kind of launched that side of my career. And tell us about the first book. What was that one about? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is, uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, the first book's called Global Dexterity. And that was inspired. It's, you know, from what we've talked about before, it's maybe obvious where that comes from. That's about stepping outside your cultural comfort zone. The idea that, you know, yes, it's important to understand cultural differences, but what if you struggle putting to use the cultural differences that you know and understand intellectually? I'll give you an example. For my dissertation, I actually studied Russian professionals in the United States learning or trying to learn to adapt their behavior to the U.S. in the context of interviewing and networking. And these guys they had the hardest time adapting and adjusting their behavior. And it wasn't because they lacked the knowledge. They knew they needed to make eye contact. They knew they needed to give firm handshakes, to speak positively about themselves, to pitch themselves, to, I don't know, to make small talk and so on. But in Russia, that is not at all how you would have interacted with someone. And in fact, I remember one person said, you know, if you did this in my country, you'd look like a fool. (laughs) And so so the, the challenge there wasn't sort of the developing the knowledge. It was putting the knowledge into practice. It was sort of the knowledge doing gap. And that was really not only a cultural problem, but also a psychological challenge. And so that's what my book's about. It's about how to step outside your cultural comfort zone, but also without losing yourself in the process. In other words, by maintaining your, being effective and appropriate in a new culture, but also maintaining your integrity. And that was with Harvard Business Review Press. And it's, that was an awesome experience. I heard from, it's, that book's used in tons of different companies. I've spoken in many, many, many different 
different companies, done training and coaching. And I hear from people, you know, fairly frequently about how that book has impacted them. So that was really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the difference between writing a book and writing all the papers that you had done up to the book. Did you find that it was a lot easier to write a book because you had already done so much research and is basically just like compiling all of that and putting it into some thoughts? Or what exactly did that look like for you? Yeah, no, it's they're totally different. I mean, the answer is yes, it was easier for me to write a book, but not for that reason. I think it was easier for me to write a book because I think my natural authentic voice is the voice of writing a book. For me, it's always been challenging to have the drier, more academic style. My natural style is very much in line with writing sort of a popular business book. But no, it's it's hard to write a book. I mean, it, it has to be, you know, substantive, but really engaging. Whereas an academic article it kind of just needs to be substantive. <laughs> like, okay, gotcha, you know, like, gotcha. Like your audience is very different than an academic article. Your audience is other scholars, right? And they're, mm-hmm. they have the patience and willingness to wade through the ideas and, and with a very critical eye to see right. if they buy what you're doing. And with an academic paper also, your focus has is super narrow, sort of super narrow, deep and specific. With a book, you can't go super narrow, deep and specific because the challenges and problems that you're trying to help people solve are much broader mm-hmm. and much more multifaceted. So you have to go broader in your audiences to is to just people who struggle with this stuff in real life, right? Uh It's a very totally different animal. Which one was more enjoyable for you? Do you think? Well, I still do the academic stuff too, so I I still do both. I think I mean I I like the book writing more. It's more fun to me, but it's equally challenging, just kind of like differently challenging. Okay, what's your process when you start writing? Like, are you kind of the person that's got to like, hey, look, nobody bug me. I'm going into my chambers for seven hours to write. Like, what, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, no, definitely not. Not when you have kids and a wife and a job and you can't, I mean, it's, you can't kind of do that. At least I, I don't. <laughs> I actually, I'm pretty good at, at carving out time and carving out, you know, pieces and, okay. you know, working on a chunk here, a chunk there. But having it, I think for me, when I was writing a book, I've done two now. I think what's really important for me is to have that be my sort of the main thing that I'm kind of ruminating on. Even if I don't have time during a particular day to work on it, it's on my mind all the time. I think it would be hard for me if I were trying to write a book and also have a lot of other big, important things on my mind professionally. That, I think, is key as opposed to like the seven hours. Okay. So you wrote Global Dexterity a while ago, and now you have this new book, Reach. Can you tell us about that one a little bit? Yeah. So global dexterity is about acting outside your cultural comfort zone. Reach is about acting outside your comfort zone, period. So I was actually inspired by global dexterity and all the comments I got from it. You know, people would tell me after talks or on LinkedIn or on email or whatever it is that, hey, these ideas are applicable beyond just cultural differences and in, in stepping outside your cultural comfort zone. And it kind of got me thinking. And I started, you know, writing a few trial balloon articles in Harvard Business Review about stepping outside your comfort zone, just to see if it was something that resonated with me writing about it, and also whether it resonated with my audience. And it really did. And so I proposed this book. And so that I did a whole bunch of new research for the book, my own research, also in others' research, research about research, in other words, you know, compiling other folks' research. But I also did a bunch of interviews. I did about 70, 75 new interviews with all sorts of people across different professions. So I had managers and entrepreneurs and executives, but also doctors and police officers and uh, therapists, actors, students, 
clergy members, like priests, rabbis, all sorts of people in all sorts of situations from, you know, making small talk with someone you don't know, networking, pitching, promoting yourself, speaking up in a meeting, public speaking. I mean, a whole range of situations. So in, in what the book's about is it's about why is it so hard to step outside your comfort zone? How do we avoid doing it? And then what you can do to, to be more successful. That's what the book's about. What were some of the most interesting findings from that? I mean, that's such a wide array of backgrounds, of professions, of people, and asking a lot of these same questions. What were some of the most like astounding things that you found out through that research? Well, I think the most astounding things, when you're doing research, it's like when you start to hear the same thing over and over again from different people in different circumstances, you start to realize that you're kind of hitting on something. And so that, I think, I guess it would be sort of, ast- I don't know if it's astounding with a capital A, <laughs> astounding with a lowercase a, you know, it's really cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. So one thing I can tell you is about the challenges, why it's hard. And this I found really resonated across professions, across contexts, that I found five core psychological challenges that sort of hold people back. One is authenticity. The idea that whatever I'm doing here when stepping outside my comfort zone just doesn't feel like me. That creates a lot of anxiety in people and sometimes enough to make them not do it or avoid it. Likeability, another challenge. What if people don't like this version of me? Let's say being assertive is my is the thing I'm trying to work on. What if people don't like the assertive version of me? That's a risk and that, that can be scary. Competence. What if I'm bad at this? <laughs> like, what if I'm bad at this? And not only do I feel like I'm bad at this, but I know other people see me as bad at this. And mm-hmm. there are a couple other challenges I could describe, but even right there, authenticity, likability, and competence, that that's tough right there. Right. You know, that's to be able to step outside your comfort zone. And, and a lot of people struggle. And, and as a result, they either consciously or, or sort of unconsciously avoid situations outside their comfort zones. But, you know, to grow and learn and develop and succeed at your goals, it, it's important to overcome these. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm glad that's something that we're talking about because all of the things that you just mentioned are definitely things that people struggle with when it comes to networking specifically, which sounds like that was actually a question that you were asking about. What helped people the most to overcome these fears, these likability and competence and some of the other factors that play into this? Yeah, I sort of identified three key sort of categories of tools that people used. The first, you know, we're kind of boiling this down, but this is really the essence of what I found. The first was what I call conviction, like having a sense of purpose for why this matters to you. You know, you're going against the grain of your comfort zone. This is this is not what you would naturally do. This is not what makes you feel comfortable. It might make you feel anxious. You might be worried about whether people will like you and so on and so forth. What's your deep sense of purpose that's not going to erase the discomfort, but that's going to give you that motivation and drive and sense of purpose to take action despite the discomfort. What is it for you? And for different people, it's different things. And digging deep and finding that, embracing that and using that sort of as a wind at your back, that was so important, really important across professions, across contexts. Customization is a second one. I think a lot of times people feel sort of powerless, maybe even helpless in situations outside their comfort zone. But I found that people who are successful realized, and by the way, when I say successful, I don't mean like they're wildly successful. I mean that they were able to get the courage to try, essentially, and and then to kind of develop and go further. But um, customization, that's the idea that, that you can tweak situations to make them kind of fit you just a little bit better. It's sort of like a tailor. Like you go buy a pair of pants or a suit or whatever it might be and it doesn't fit you perfectly. So you you kind of tweak it a little bit. You have the tailor, take it in here, take it out there. And you can you have more power to do that than you know, really, with situations outside your comfort zone. And people did that and I kept seeing it. It was so interesting. That was astounding, actually, that 
people that seeing all these subtle, interesting ways people did that through their body language, their actual language, the manipulating the context, playing with timing, even bringing a prop to a situation. That was so powerful and so interesting. And then the final one was clarity. I found people who were successful were able to kind of develop a bit of, of emotional sort of clarity and stability around the extreme reactions that they at least initially had. So like the ideas about like, you know, I'll never be able to do this or I'll be a complete failure or let's say it's public speaking. I'll make a complete fool of myself. And people had the tendency, their emotions drove them to catastrophize. And I found, which is natural, but I found people who were able to kind of normalize those reactions, almost like Imagine like a boat in a stormy sea where the stormy sea represents your sort of emotional reactions and to have that anchor, to anchor yourself into the perspective of like, for example, I'm, you know, yeah, I probably won't faint on stage. I, I probably won't make a complete fool of myself. I, right, I probably right. be like best. I won't be the best TED talker in the world, but I'll, you know what, I'll, I'll make through it. I'll make it through. I'll probably do a little bit better than I thought I would. And I'll bet I'll be able to improve the next time. And, you know, it won't all be perfect. That kind of like sort of more even grounded perspective. I found that people who had that or were able to develop that perspective taking ability were more successful as well. So that it's clarity, customization and conviction. What would you say to somebody who, it sounds like the people you're talking to all basically agree that doing stuff outside your comfort zone is a good practice. What would you say to somebody that takes a little bit more convincing that they're like, you know, why do I need to do that? I don't like doing it. Why should I put myself through that? Well, that's the conviction piece. And if you can't think of a good reason, it's probably not worth doing. I don't think people should willy-nilly be stepping outside their comfort zone in every possible circumstance and situation. I actually wrote a Harvard Business Review article about this last year. You know, when I think it was called like when you shouldn't be stepping outside your comfort zone or something like that. Because I, I just I don't want people to think that I'm implying everyone should all the time. I, I think you want to pick your spots, you know, but you also have to be honest with yourself, right? And a good exercise to think about is if you could take a magic eraser and erase just for a moment in your head as a thought exercise, erase the anxiety with that magic eraser about the situation you're thinking about. Like there's no fear, no anxiety to it at all. Is that something that you'd actually want to be able to do? Hmm. And if you can sort of do that thought exercise, and if the answer is no, like, you know, minus the anxiety, minus the fear, no, it's actually not something I'd like to do. Well, then there you go. Maybe that's not something that you should be stretching outside your comfort zone to achieve. But if the answer is yes, well, then that's a different conversation, I think. Huh, huh. So these situations, does it matter if it's like personal or professional or a different sphere? Like, or is it, is it just like, Hey, you should stick to only going out of your comfort zone if it does X, Y, and Z for you? Or is it just basically up to that person? I think it's very subjective, right? I think it's subjective. And I think it's particularly relevant for sort of touchstone points and transition points in our lives. Like that's where we're often finding ourselves having to step outside our comfort zone, whether it's moving from the sort of more protected reliable world of college to the unknown of the professional world, to becoming a manager for the first time, to becoming an entrepreneur, to switching careers, to starting your own business, to being a leader, to, I don't know, and then in our personal lives, I don't know, getting married, having kids, you know, there there are a lot of transition points where sort of almost by definition, we're going to have to step outside our comfort zone to kind of grow and develop and reach our potential. And I think those are the key situations. 
Okay, got it. Cool. So let's go ahead and move on here, Andy, because I mean, we've kind of been talking about networking this entire time, because for most people, it's something that is definitely stepping outside of their comfort zone to accomplish. So everything that we've talked about really can be applied to that. But let's talk a little bit more specifically into this for a second. This is the question I ask everybody that comes on the show to get the conversation started in this direction. Do you believe that what you know, or who you know, is more important and why? Oh, gosh, I don't see it as either or. I hope that's not a bad answer. (laughs) I see it as I say it as both. I mean, you know, I think that who you know and what you know are both important. In other words, I wouldn't want to just know people and not know anything. And I wouldn't want to just know something but not know people. (laughs) If you had to say like, hey, look, this one is where you should spend a little bit unequal amount of time on, which one would you say? I'd say who you know, I think. I would say if you had to, given a relative baseline of both and you had to spend a bit of discretionary extra on, I'd Mm -hmm. say there, yeah. Okay, okay. Why do you think that is? I think that is because I think that there are a lot of smart people out there. There are a lot of people who have great ideas, but you need to sort of blend talent with opportunities. And the way that you find opportunities oftentimes is through networking and through building connections. And that I think is critical. You're not going to be able to succeed unless you find an outlet for your talents. And I think that networking is a critical way to do that. Yeah. Can you tell us about a time in your life when a connection led to like a moment of success for you? It doesn't necessarily need to be monetary, but some sort of like success where you looked back and you were like that one time I met that one guy that led to this guy that led to that girl that connected me here that just led to this big thing for me. Anything like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I told you the story earlier about how I was in graduate school and then I left to France, right? Mm-hmm. So when I came, I didn't tell you this part, I came back from France and I finished my second year at Columbia, this is at Columbia University in New York City. And I said, I, I told you I went off and got a PhD, but actually there was one step prior to that, okay. which is when I left Columbia, I was looking to see if there was some sort of place where I could learn about what it was like to get a PhD and what it was like to do research and so on and so forth. And so it turned out that I had taken a class, actually two classes with a professor at Columbia who became a bit of a mentor at that point to me a little bit. He, I then used his connections. He offered his connections to other, I said, you know, who out there would be a great person to apprentice with for a year? They don't have to pay me much. You know, I can live cheaply. I can live at home. I can eat ramen, whatever it is. I just want to, you know, I just want to try this for a year. So he searched his network and he came up with a fantastic person who ended up being the person who I, so this was at Harvard University and the person who he connected me with ultimately became my advisor. I got my PhD from Harvard and he became my sort of lifelong mentor, that guy, the second guy. So, I mean, absolutely. That was pure networking. Yeah. I love stories like that because I think that it's important for people who don't do this on purpose to hear stories like that, because that was something that you did on purpose, right? You had something that you wanted to do. You had a goal, a vision, a dream in mind, whatever it was. And then you saw a way to facilitate that was to get around somebody who was doing it and so that you could see what it was like to do it. And I think that that's really, really highly valuable because I think a lot of people will spend their time going to school and then they'll get out and they'll go get a job. And then all of a sudden, like they just stop doing those kinds of things. It's just kind of, you know, like, well, I've now I'm done with learning. Now I'm done with connecting. I've done all of that. That now I just go to my job and then hang out at the bar on the weekends. And I think it's so important for people to understand that it's it's something that's got to be constantly and consistently a part of your life and something that should have a, not only a, a time budget, but a monetary budget, money to be spent on things like going out, meeting new people and stuff like that, because you never know what might come from that kind of a situation. Yeah. Uh, and you can also network at a bar, too. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. If you, I mean, if you do it on purpose, you can do it anywhere. Yeah, uh, that's why I tell people sometimes. Like, yeah, they'll say. So people ask me, "Well, where do you go to network, man?" And I'm just like, 
I mean, I know the answer you're looking for is to a specific event. And yes, I do go to a lot of different events and business events, podcasting events, online marketing events, all that kind of stuff. But sometimes it's just like, when I pull up my laptop to do some work, I'm going to do it at Starbucks down the street instead of in my home office. Because at Starbucks, there's a bunch of people that come in and out that I don't know that I have a chance to talk to for a second. You know, just little things like that, that people underestimate those types of connections as well. So yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So if you had to boil it down to one thing here, Andy, let's say someone just hopped on this, they're about to hop back off this interview and they're only going to listen to this one question. If you had to choose just one networking tip, one thing to make everybody better, something practical they can put into their lives tomorrow, what would that one tip be? Well, I would say the one, my one tip would be for people who are scared and uncomfortable about going to big, loud, noisy networking events. I know, by the way, that you can, as you just said, you can network in all sorts of places. And I've networked in very strange places, actually, which I'm happy to talk about. But in terms of the more conventional, big, loud, noisy networking events, I know so many people who avoid them. They're scared of them. They feel very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. They feel intimidated. They feel like wannabes. They feel like imposters and so on and so forth. I think my tip is that it's sort of in the realm of customization for my book reach. If you are uncomfortable with a big, loud, noisy networking event, a couple of things. Number one, go early, play with timing a little bit. If you go early to one of those events, it's going to be less big. It's gonna be less loud. It's gonna be less noisy, right? Set reasonable goals for yourself. Don't feel like you have to quote unquote, work the room that never works, you know, and there's no purpose to that. You want to go deep rather than shallow, right? You want to try to come up with a couple of potential connections and then try to find opportunities to deepen them in a context that works for you, right? Having an extended conversation in one of those events might not work, but maybe if you just even meet one person, two people, whatever it is, and see if you can get together for coffee, that might be much more conducive for you. So what I would just say is that that you have more power than you think to kind of control your networking contexts and situations. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great practical tip. And I feel like the majority of the people who listen to the show, I think are probably those types of people that kind of fear those big room situations. I know I was for sure. I still kind of am. I'm an introvert by nature. And so those kinds of tips have always been super, super helpful. Andy, let's go ahead and move on here to the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Yeah. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I think maybe a chef. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Bill Belichick, because I'm a massive Patriots fan and he never talks. So if I had him on a bench, I'd be able to talk to him. <laughs> Sorry, by the way, I'm sure there are a lot of people who hate the Patriots. On this <laughs> hey, you don't got to apologize for your favorite team. Man. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like to consume content, books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I mean, I hate to say all the above, but uh, I'd say blogs and podcasts. Okay. What is a blog that you read often and a podcast you listen to often? Well, I told you I'm a sports nut, so they're going to be, I listen to like five different New England Patriots podcasts. <laughs> I think that my favorite podcast for pleasure right now is called Ear Hustle. It's a podcast about life in San Quentin prison. I tend to listen to, I'm very eclectic with my podcasts. In terms of more professional podcasts, I think Startup by Gimlet is a really interesting podcast. Again, they're not sort of like how-tos, they're more like context, but they get me to think. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Ha, huh, you really want to know. <laughs> get up at 6.15, get my son's breakfast ready, bring him to school, come back, walk the dog, take a deep breath and start work. What is your go-to pump-up song? <laughs> oh God, I don't think I have one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. I, I'm too, maybe I'm too old for that. <laughs> what is something that you are just not very good at? Dancing. 
Dancing. Yeah, me too, man. That's all right. (laughs) (laughs) As we get everything wrapped up here, Andy, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? Yeah, andymolinsky.com is my website. Tons of stuff there, like free resources and my LinkedIn and my Facebook and Twitter and, you know, even my emails there. So I love connect with people and feel free to reach out. And if you have a chance, check out Global Dexterity or, or my book, Reach. I'd be honored. Yeah, perfect. So go over to andymolinsky.com. That's M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And look at some of the stuff that Andy's putting out. I mean, he's got tons and tons of research and different things that he's putting out all the time. Pick up a copy of one of his books. Reach out, say what's up, tell him you heard about him here on Build Your Network. Andy, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. Had a blast talking. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me on. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.